through this series, we have been speaking the name of Jesus over our family, digging through God's word. What does it mean to have a healthy family? What does it mean to have a, a thriving family? What does God want with me and my family? How do I lead my family? And, and what we could run into, and I feel like we're probably at this point, because we've been in this series almost two months, about six, seven weeks at this point, and you might be thinking, finally, this series is over because it hasn't worked at all. <laughs> Right, you, you go through this whole series, and let's even assume you're here like half the time, and okay, I hear what we're, we're reading about, and I see how that works, and you're trying to implement, you're trying to do some things in your family, but in reality, today, you might look back from the beginning of this series to now saying, my family really isn't that much different. And there might be a few of you are like, no, no, my family's radically changed and different, kudos to you. But the rest of us are probably thinking, it's really not much better. We're kind of in the same spot. We haven't really grown through this. We haven't really maybe improved through this. You might even say our family's worse because of this series so far. So as we wrap up our series, I want to help you understand that tension of why isn't it better, right? And that might not even be just for your family. You might be able to say that across the board in a whole bunch of areas of your life. I'm trying to do this, God. I hear what you're saying, God. I'm working on it, God. I'm not perfect, but I'm at least trying, God. But why isn't it better? It's supposed to be different now, right? Here as a church, we say all the time, we're about more life change. Well, I'm not seeing any change, so what's going on? Let me help you understand it a little bit differently, put it in context for you. So I've got an egg, and let's just assume I were to tell you, watch closely because this egg is about to hatch. Wait for it. Wait for it. At some point, you're going to get tired of waiting, aren't you? <laughs> At some point, you're going to get tired of waiting. At first, if I were to say, this egg is about to hatch, it's super close to hatching, watch closely, it's about to happen, you might be glued on it for a couple seconds, maybe a couple minutes at most. But when nothing happens, you say, well, forget it. I can go do something else. I, I've got plenty to do with my time. I've got other things to be waiting and watching for. So if nothing's gonna happen, I'll move on to something else. And so often when we desire change in our lives, let's talk in the context of family here, the people closest to you, the people that you love, the people that love you. Jesus, I thought you were gonna change my family for the better. And I was waiting, I've been watching and nothing and we get discouraged, don't we? We get disappointed, we get frustrated. And it'll probably most likely take us down one of two paths. One, the frustration will lead us to just giving up. I've waited and I've watched and I've waited and I've watched and nothing, 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 so forget it, I'm out. The other side of our frustration would say, you know what, I've waited and watched. Jesus, if you're not gonna do this, I'm gonna make it happen. That creates a mess when you force something to hatch that's not ready to be hatched yet, which I will not be demonstrating on stage. So I'm like, no, that's why I came. That's the whole point. But what we don't always see, right, and we know this, if, if this egg were to hatch, it would take anywhere between three to four weeks for it to hatch. There's things going on beneath the shell. There's things happening behind the scenes that we don't always see. Sometimes things that we don't even know. So even though we've got that egg, we've got our family, and we're anticipating change, we're looking forward to some growth, we're waiting and waiting and watching and waiting and watching, you might find yourself in that tension of now I'm just frustrated because I hear the promises and I'm not seeing it actually happen. 
what's going on behind the scenes? Because there's two ways that change really happens. Change can happen in a ton of ways, but if you were to categorize them, they really, change really falls into one of two categories. The miracle moment that just happens, right? And, and maybe you've experienced that miracle moment where you went to bed one way, you woke up the, other, the next day completely and radically changed. Jesus is in that, in that business. He does miracle moments in our lives. Read about them through scripture, talk to other people, you will hear those. But there is a whole nother category that doesn't get a lot of attention. I call it the boring breakthrough. Because it's not fun to talk about. It's not exciting to talk about. Where it's just the same thing over and over and over that eventually leads to some breakthrough. And we all want the miracle moment. We all wait and watch for the miracle moment. But sometimes Jesus is doing something in the background. Sometimes he's using us to do some things in the background, to develop and to build some things. So here's what I would tell you. If you find yourself in that tension, family or in other contexts of your life, instead of waiting and just waiting and waiting for the miracle moment, do something. Begin to build for a breakthrough. There's things that God might be calling you to do in the background over and over and over and over and over, leading to a breakthrough. Galatians says it this way. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Galatians, and then we're going to jump all the way back to Joshua. But I want you to hear what it says in Galatians as Paul's writing to the early church there. Same concept. He starts with this. He says, do not be deceived. Often we get deceived, right? Well, surely this will just hatch whenever I want it to. Do not be deceived. God cannot be, cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Pretty common principle there. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Here it is. Let us not become weary in, and say these two words with me, do not become weary in doing good. Oh, we do become weary though, don't we? We're so waiting for this thing to change. We're waiting for the breakthrough. We're waiting for the miracle moment and we're waiting, waiting, waiting. We get so fed up. We're like, you know what? I'm gonna take care of this on my own. Do not become weary in doing good. Look at this. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. I hate that it says proper time there. I wish there was a more specific time, like for in two weeks, this will happen. Wouldn't that be a lot better? I mean, here, we're getting wisdom from God through his word. Couldn't he give us a little bit more specific time than just this proper time? That can mean anything, which is the problem, isn't it? That's the tension we feel at the proper time in his timing then we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So here's my encouragement before we finish up this series today. Continue to do good and don't give up. It's exactly what Paul said. Continue to do good. Those things, those boring breakthrough things that over time, at the proper time, will cause a breakthrough. If you want to reap that harvest, you've got to do a lot of things on the front end, don't you? Go back to the illustration Paul used. You don't just wake up tomorrow and get a harvest and everything's better. No, you sow and you cultivate, and you take care of, and you water, and then you sow. You do a lot of those boring things to get to a breakthrough. So keep doing the right things. And we're going to talk about those. What are those things? And don't give up. So to start with that, that's where we're going to land if you're taking notes, I'd encourage you to maybe um, walk this through a little bit here. We're going to fill in some blanks. It's going to be the first part is what 
is the family I want? There's your first question. And you could almost have like a big blank there. What is the family that I want? Be careful how you answer that. That person's probably sitting next to you. But I'm assuming if you're sitting here, can we make the assumption that we're probably going to fill in that blank with like a godly family, a healthy family, right? And we're going to see why that's important. What's the family that I'm wanting? What's the family that I'm trying to see happen? What's that change that I want to see happen? What is the family I want? And from that, we're going to start to see what are the things, those do good things that Paul talked about to lead us to this kind of family. Now we're going to land in Joshua. So if you do have your Bibles, follow through there because we're going to pick up in that story. Joshua chapter 24, we'll put the, the scriptures on the screen here in a moment, but let me help you understand context of what's going on in Joshua's life and the life of God's people. Joshua was the leader after Moses. So God's people in slavery in Egypt, God raises up Moses to then lead the people out of Egypt. Then after Moses dies, God raises up Joshua. Joshua's now the leader of God's people, and he led those people into the promised land, did some crazy cool things, a lot of those boring breakthrough moments in his life, but also a lot of those miracle moments. Joshua, when he fights Jericho, cool story about all of those walls falling down, if you've heard that song or read through that story. So there's Joshua. But his life is now coming to an end. And so he gives one last farewell speech to God's people, saying, you people, you've had Moses to follow. You've had Moses leading you towards God. You've had Moses that God uses to speak to you. Moses was gone, and then Joshua was here. Joshua says, you've had me to lead you where God spoke to you through me. He says, but I'm about to be gone. So he leaves them with a challenge, a charge. So what are you going to do when I'm gone? What kind of family, what kind of people are you going to be? So here's where we'll pick it up. Chapter 24 out of Joshua, verse 14. If you've been in church long enough, you've probably heard one of these phrases here in a moment. Joshua says this to God's people. His final farewell speech. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day. In other words, choose how you're going to fill in the blank here. You've got to make a decision at some point. So he tells the people, choose today. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And here it is, the famous line you've probably heard. But as for me and my household, finish it with me, we will serve the Lord. He lays out a charge, doesn't he? He says, you've got to choose. I'm not always going to be here. In fact, I'm almost out of here. So what are you going to do? Who will you serve? And it's interesting who he pointed out. He said, if serving the Lord isn't what you want to do, if that's not your decision, he doesn't talk them in or out of it. He just says, make it a decision. He said, you could choose to follow the gods of your ancestors way back when, says you could choose to follow the gods of the people that you're living amongst. In other words, live the way everybody else is living. We know how well that works. He says, or follow the one true God. He says, now, whatever you decide, here's my decision. Here's my family's decision. He says, as for me and my house, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. So I said, we're going to figure out what's it going to take if we're saying we want a godly family here. What's it going to take through the rest of it? How do we get to that? What are those things that are the do-goods that Paul talked about? Let me suggest three of them based on the text here in Joshua. The first one 
is be a united family. Be united. That's what Joshua did, right? He said, regardless of what you all choose, my family is choosing to serve the Lord. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter what the circumstance is. Nothing will change the fact that we are choosing to serve the Lord. It is a decision that outlasts everything else. And they, as a family, are united in at least that one thing. We might disagree on a bunch of things. We might have our ups and downs in our family. But at the end of the day, no matter what, we are united in this one thing. We will serve the Lord. It was a decision. It's a decision he called God's people to decide on. What are you going to be united in? Who are you going to serve? What is your family going to be all about? Now, as we go through each of these things, we're going to start with the united family, being a united family. I'm going to give you a question to help you think through it a little bit. Here's the question for this one. Does your family know what your family is all about? That's, what, that's the essence of being united. We are all in in this. We are all about this. Whatever the this is, does your whole family know what your family is all about? Joshua says, me and my family, for our household, this is it. And we all know it. I would say start there, obviously, because this is the very foundation for everything else that you're going to begin to do, that you're going to be striving for to experience that breakthrough, that change in your family. The family that you want, you have to start, well, what are we all about? You have to make a decision. What is your family going to be all about? Is it just what everybody else is chasing after? The people that you live around, the world that we live in, is it that? Is it what, what's in the history? Is it your family traditions? Is it whatever you came from? Is it all that? Or it's for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Be a united family. Here's what happens next. After Joshua gives that charge, you've got to make a decision. This day, who will you serve? Here's what we're choosing to serve, but you've got to make a decision. What are you going to be united in? Then the people are very, very quick. The Israelites are quick to come back to Joshua and say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We choose to serve the Lord too, just like you. We're going to do that too. And Joshua calls a time out and says, whoa, whoa, you say that, but let's make sure you know what that really means. Like, if you choose to be united in God, well, let's make sure we're clear on the commitment that's required. So he kind of goes through a couple things. You can read about it. And then he calls this decision again and says, no, so who will you serve? And that's where we're going to pick it up. Here's the second part. Here's what God's people said in response to Joshua's, like, timeout, little team huddle. You know what you're getting into, right? You know the decision you're making, right? Here's what they said. Verse 21. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Key part here, the very first verse that we read there, verse 21. No, we will serve the Lord. Once you decide what your decision is, which I get is a very tough choice. Deciding where you all are gonna go eat after church today is hard enough. Deciding what your family's gonna be all about is a big decision. Don't take it lightly. It's what Joshua's getting across to the rest of the people. The second part, commitment. Be a committed family. Once you decide what your family is gonna be all about, then you have to commit to it. Now it starts to get legs. It's not just a declaration anymore. No, we, we're gonna have to do something. 
be a committed family. And I love that phrase there. No, we will serve the Lord. What you don't see and what I would almost expect to see is a maybe or a might in replace of the I will or the we wills. Because we do that a lot, don't we? We sacrifice the commitment for the sake of convenience. We want to commit to something, but maybe something convenient will actually come a little bit later. We want to commit, but I don't know what life's going to be like later. I want to commit, but I don't know what my finances are going to look like later. I want to commit, but I don't know fill in the blank. Convenience. So often we don't commit fully, well, because it might not be convenient later. For the Israelites to say, no, we will serve the Lord. What they're saying is it doesn't matter what life looks like later. Our commitment stays the same. We are still committed. Instead of, well, it might not be convenient. We might need to adjust our commitments a little bit later. They are, at this point, all in. They declared the decision. They're unified in that. Now they're committing. So that means they're going to have to live some things out. Things are going to have to adjust. Things are going to change. Their lives are going to begin to look a little bit different. There's a commitment there. So here's the question for you and your family to answer. What is a maybe currently that needs to be a will? What's a maybe? What, is you, what are you personally or you and your family saying maybe to? Oh, man, we say maybe all the time, don't we? As a parent, that's the only word I know for my kids is maybe. Hey, dad, can we do this? Maybe. And my kid, my oldest, is getting a little smart enough where he's starting to say, that means no. And I'm like, no, 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 it means maybe, meaning there is a very small chance. But what I'm really saying is I don't want to deal with the outcome of no right now, so I'm just going to push it on a little bit later. So we use maybe to make it easier. We use maybe to give us an out. We use maybe because maybe something better might come along. We use maybe so that we don't have to be fully committed. What currently for you and your family is a maybe? That today, based on your decision, you just need to say, you know what, we're just committed. It doesn't really matter. Let me give you a couple examples. And I'm going to give you a lot of examples like in the church because that's where we are right now. <laughs> Does this mean these are the only ways to be committed as a family to God? Absolutely not. But it's an easy one for you to start to wrap your head around because you're sitting here in church. Serving, we talk about serving a ton as a church family, inside the walls and outside of the church walls. And so often we use those words, well, maybe now's not a good time to serving because man, lots going on and, and maybe we can do it next month or maybe next season or maybe, 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 maybe. If you have decided to serve the Lord, can you commit to doing just that, to serving the Lord? And, and here's even an easy next step. November 2nd, it's one of our big serve days. We do these a couple times a year where we go and we blitz our community for no other reason of just serving and loving other people. Well, there might be something better that comes along on November 2nd for you. It's a Saturday. I don't know what the game schedules are on that day. I don't know if it's going to be rainy or sunny or hot or cold or snowing or sleeting. Who knows what November 2nd might hold? I don't know what other commitments might show up. I don't know if you're going to have family that randomly shows up in town or, oh man, finally it's a nice day. Let's go apple picking. There's a ton of other things you could do on November 2nd. But could you, instead of say maybe, because holding out for something maybe a little bit better, could you say, you know what, if we've declared, decided, and we're united in serving the Lord, we're just going to say we're in. And who, who cares what happens on that day? We've made a commitment to this. Now, that's not to make you feel bad if you cannot commit to November 2nd. It's an example, one of many. 
We're celebrating baptisms today out in the lobby, celebrating people's decision in that fact that they're saying yes to Jesus. Maybe you have thought about baptism and maybe not today, maybe next time. Well, it kind of depends. Let's see how the rest of the sermon goes. Depends on what that fourth song is, whether that's a really tug on my heart or not. How warm's the water? How many people have been baptized in that water already? <laughs> Tell you, nobody got baptized after 8.15, so be first in line right afterwards. <laughs> There's a lot of maybes, right? Well, can I give you the push if you've made the decision to say yes and follow Jesus? Can you just say, you know what? I haven't been baptized yet. I'm committed, so this is my next step. Don't overcomplicate it. Get rid of the maybes. Jump into the will. There's just a couple examples. There's a hundred of them. For you, your family, inside the church, outside of the church, where you work, where you live in your neighborhood, the community that you're part of, what if you started to get rid of maybes? And it either was a, I will or I won't. I will or I can't. And your relationship with Jesus, move it to a will instead of a maybe. Committed, what does a committed family look like if you want to have that godly family? Those are the do good things. All right, next part. Getting rid of the maybes. Here's the next part. So he gives them the charge, make a decision. He says, okay, if you're deciding that, then you gotta commit to it no matter what. And they said, no, we will serve the Lord. It wasn't a maybe. Here's what they said next, verse 23. Now then, right afterwards, so you've united in this decision. This is what your family's all about. You've committed to it. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield, circle that word, we're coming back to it, and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. All right, let me go back to that word yield. I'm gonna teach you a, an Old Testament word, a Hebrew word here, you ready? It's gonna be fun to say, especially if you're from the South. It's got some twang to it if you want to. Here's the word, nata. Say it with me, nata. Now, I'm a Yankee, I'm from the North, which you would at least consider North, so it's not gonna sound as cool when I say it, but if you're from here, it's like nata. You hear it? There you go. It's like the Southern Hebrew word-ish. All right, one more time. Nata, one, two, three. Nata. There you go. Here's what nata literally means. It's not just to yield. That's a big part of it, but you got to understand the visual. What Joshua is saying is get rid. If you've united in this and committed in that, then get rid of everything else so that you can nata your heart to God. It's like what you would say when you wake up in the morning to stretch. Nata. It's one of those. Because that's what you're doing. You're stretching towards God. You're bending your heart towards God. You can't quite reach it, but you're doing everything you possibly can to stretch out and get there. That's the visual for what Joshua is telling his people to do, to do. Get rid of everything else so you can bend and stretch and reach as far as you can to align your heart with God's heart. Yield, bend, reach, stretch, your heart towards God. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. And Joshua recorded these things in the book of the law. Then he took a large stone. We're gonna come back to that at the very end. Then he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak tree near the holy place of the Lord. Here's the last part. You make a decision you commit to it. Last one, be a focused family. Be focused. You put away anything else so that you can only focus on what you just said is most important. 
In Joshua's context with God's people, that was throwing away all these idols. In our context, that looks a little bit differently, right? Or at least we talk about it differently. Yes, there may need to be some things to completely get rid of, but it's not always an all or nothing. In reality, to truly get focused, it's really a a matter of simple addition and subtraction. If you wanna be focused, you add things and then you reduce things. You get rid of something so that you can add something. Focus is just a matter of addition and subtraction. Let me help you see it a little bit differently up here. If these jars represent the things that you focus on, we only have a certain amount of focus. Some of you with a lot less than this. That's okay. That's why we do like 25 to 30 minute sermons and not 45 to 55 minute sermons. So you only have a certain amount of focus. And these things, you name them whatever you want. And there's a lot more than four, but just for the sake of this, let's say there's four things that you try to focus on. But again, we can have a hundred things that we put our focus in. And in reality, they're never equal, are they? It's never, well, I have this much focus and it's never evens out. What happens is, let's say for a student, I have a big test coming up. Well, if I need to focus on my studies, I need to get rid of some of my focus in some areas so that I can add focus towards my studies. And then we say, well, I'm now able to focus here and and studying, but I still have a job, so I've got to pull some focus from somewhere else. I still have those hours to do. Um, That's not going to work, so I've got to change some focus here. At least for this season, maybe that's what my focus begins to look like. Right In our jobs, we have busy seasons, so okay, I've got to have a lot more focus on my job here. Still have my family. They, They need more of me, so... But it is going to be a little bit busy, maybe not that much. There we go. There we go. But family's coming over. That's going to require a whole lot more focus because I can't tell them no. But I could tell them no if my wife would let me. She's not going to let me, so. You see the game of focus? The equation of focus is addition and subtraction. So here's the thing to think about on what your family's focused on and how you're going to adjust your focus. Well, what is something I need to add? Where do I need a little bit more of what? Fill in the blank. Right? You would say we need a little bit more of blank and a little less of blank. What do you need a little more of? What do you need a little less of? And you begin to adjust. Now, let me totally mess this whole thing up for you. Because we just said we're going to be united in serving the Lord. We're going to be committed to serving the Lord. We're going to be focused on serving the Lord. Well, that's a whole new category. That's a whole new jar, isn't it? Well, if we're going to focus on Jesus, where's that focus coming from? I'm, I'm united in it. I'm committed to it. But I don't know where it's going to come from. Again, it's simple addition and subtraction. Here's what I would tell you. You adjust your life so that your focus remains on Jesus, and then you start to do your addition and subtraction in other areas of your life. Never taking focus out of here, but only adjusting it in the other parts of your life. Maybe this one goes up. But I never touch this one. You only have so much focus. It's a limited resource. You only have so much time, energy, money, focus. So if you're truly gonna be united in serving the Lord, and you're committed to it, then you have to focus on Him. 
In other words, to have the family you want, your focus must remain on Jesus. Always. All the time. That doesn't mean you get rid of the rest of your life. There might be some things that need to get rid of. But if we were to sit down and have a conversation, I bet we would have more of a conversation of addition and subtraction, a little bit more, a little bit less, so that we never touch this one. Jesus' words said, seek first the kingdom of God. Seek him first and live righteously to the best that we possibly can. We say that we stumble in the right direction together. Seek first the kingdom of God and live righteously and all these things will be added to you. But first and above all else, above everything else, our focus remains on him. So what do you need a little bit more of? What do you need a little bit less of? Never heard somebody say a little bit more Jesus hurt them. Don't touch this one. And yes, adjust the rest of your life to match. So there's the building blocks to build a family that's focused on Jesus. A family that scripture would say is a God-honoring family, or to use Joshua's words, as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Last part. Told you we'll come back to it. After they made this decision, they were committed to it, and Joshua said, okay, it's time to adjust some things in your life so that you can remain focused on him. He said, now I'm gonna place this huge stone for you to always see. The whole purpose of that massive stone that Joshua placed was so that people remembered that, that they remembered what their decision was, they remember what their commitment was and to remember who they were focused on, not what, but who. So I thought it would be great if I gave you all large stones on your way out today. <laughs> no, instead what we did, a little bit easier for you. We've been talking a lot about orange. We've had the orange bracelets on the orange couch and all those things. So the idea is, well, if Jesus is the light of the world, and represents yellow. And if red is the love that comes from our home and our family, that together those make orange. So we have orange bracelets, but these are a little bit different. On these, they say, we will serve the Lord. Going back to the decision that we are all united in. We will serve the Lord. Now I get it, you probably won't wear this all the time, unless you're a Clemson fan, then you have another good reason to wear it. But outside of that, can I suggest that you just put it someplace that you'll always see it? Put it there on, on the driver's stick of your car. Put it next to your lamp at your nightstand. Put it somewhere in your kitchen or on your dining room table. Put it someplace where you always remember the decision, the commitment, and above all what you're focused on. We will serve the Lord. So as we pray and, and as we wrap up, let me encourage you to start where everybody needs to start right here. For some of you, you need to make a decision to follow Jesus for the first time. Some of you, it's, we've strayed from this a little bit. Or we made the commitment, but we've had a lot of maybes recently. Or you know what? Our focus has been so jacked up. Let's get things in the right jars. Wherever you're at, make that your next step today. Just like Joshua said, make a decision today. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for family, for the difficulties of family, but for the love that we get from family, love that, that you use, you love us through our families, in the good times and the bad times. 
Help us to remember that we are ultimately part of your family. We are your kids. So Jesus, I would ask that you would help us find those next steps, saying yes to you for the very first time, making a renewal of this decision and commitment, adjusting some things, doing some simple math to get our focus right. Whatever we need to do, may we not become weary in doing those things. But if we sow what you call us to sow, we will reap what we desire to reap. And no, it has nothing to do with what we do. It has everything to do with, with what you've already done. Thank you for the life that we get because of your sacrifice. But may we continue to live in a way that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.